0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the Daily Stand Up. Without any further ado, let's get started. Today, on our journey, we want to continue our review of the Agile Dad Agile 12 Step Guide to 12 Steps to Agile Implementation. For those of you who missed earlier in the week, we started off by admitting we had a problem that we're trying to solve, and why do we choose Agile to solve the problem? Then we set leadership and management level expectations. We identified a clear distinction and established every Agile role inside of the organization. We focused on product ownership and backlog item creation and held proper Agile meetings for correct purpose and with the right attendees and agenda. And then we clearly defined what our product release cycles were going to be. Today, we're going to switch gears again and talk about 7, 8, and 9, and what I want to encourage you is that these aren't all or nothing, and once again, they don't have to be done in order, although they do work better in order. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast previous to this, if you're just jumping in now, so that you can get your head around the first six steps, so that way you really have a good understanding before jumping in here at number seven. So number seven on our list is taking time to measure end consumer satisfaction. So this is interesting because I think many organizations really want to know how happy their customers are and rely on things like social media sentiment or customer interviews to figure out where they are. But, you know, in addition to the ever so critical acceptance criteria that we set forth, we need to note some form of measure of how we're going to decide how happy the end consumer is. Um, You know, it could be This information can be gathered with something as simple as frequent demonstrations of a working product and having the right people in a room. Other times it might require a more intense customer interaction, usability studies, uh, having people do interactive games to try to figure it out. I think that one of the things that we need to do is we need to have an understanding of what the number one or top several features are that are in our product or service and how they're being used. And then we need to track that across. We need to have some kind of traceability across our consumer base to see how and why they're using that product or service. And we need to understand what their needs are, what kind of things they're struggling with. One of the things I often encourage coaches to do with the product owner is to talk to support, to find out the things that the consumer might be struggling the most with, or to talk to to trainers about ideas that the consumer might be clamoring for. You know, the best thing you can possibly do is make a connection between the people who are doing the work and the people who are receiving the product. The closer you can get that connection and the more frequently you can get those interactions, the better off you're going to be as an organization when it comes to understanding your consumer's needs and really embracing those and trying to figure out what you can do. Now, it's not always saying that the consumer is always right. Although that adage has been around for a long time, one thing we've been quick to discover is that the consumer sometimes isn't right at all. So I think it it becomes time for us to really decide and understand that the consumer, You know, I I heard a famous CEO say this once, I'm not going to say their name in case they don't want to be known for this quote, but they said the consumer is always right unless they're wrong. And I thought about that for a little while and you know, while in the days uh, before automobiles, you know, you heard customers saying they need a faster horse, they need a faster horse. In actuality, what they needed was a car. And I think that sometimes, strategically, we might know we might know better what's in their best interest than they know themselves. A lot of times, consumers suffer from wuzzywig or you know, or ickawissy right? What you see is what you get, and I'll know it when I see it. And and, and they don't want to, you know, uh, dig in or dive in until they understand those things. Because so I think it's just important for them to get their head around, you know, what they're trying to do. Then, uh, once we get that down, we should zoom in on number eight, which is enhancing programming practices. Now, this one's very technical. So if you're not building software here, you might want to say, Enhance build practices or enhance or or optimize flow, right? Whatever makes sense here in order to satisfy what type of product or service you're building. For the sake of this list today, I'm going to focus on technical practices. And, you know, when it comes to unit testing, this should be captain obvious, but 100% unit testing should be present. Every piece of code should undergo a code review, 100%. You know, refactoring the poorly designed code, trying to figure out what spaghetti code you're struggling with, refactor that, rebuild it 100%. You know, have a coding standard in place. For those who aren't familiar with the coding standard, this is where, you know, as an organization, we agree that all of our code is going to follow a set of values, that it's going to flow a certain way, that it's going to look a certain way, that we're going to use the same taxonomy when we're writing the code. And what this does is it makes it very simple for people who are outside to jump in if they have the technology behind them and look and see what's going on. I want to note here that this doesn't mean extensive documentation in the code. It means needed documentation. Everything should be written in such a way that it clearly defines what's happening. You know, um, this, in my opinion, is just the bread and butter. This is what makes things work. So whether you're optimizing how you build something or you're enhancing the way that it's built or you're enhancing your programming practices... I think we need to understand that the proof of forward progress rests in a, a demo of what, what our working results are. We need to get in there and show, hey, that not only do we understand this, but that we, we understand how it's built and we can really dig in and uh, that we take pride and collective ownership and that it's not a one-person-owns-this-part-of-the-code kind of thing that we're doing. You know we need to know we need to let the the world know that as an organization and as a team that we collectively own this and that we collectively have responsibility and that we are being mindful of the needs of the end consumer and then finally, for today number nine ties right in with programming practices, enhancing your testing practices now this doesn't mean just you know testing lines of code you know every group should be working towards some form of test driven design or test driven development. You know, in my world, there's a test in place valid uh, to validate before any line of code is ever written for technology, or there's a test in place before we start building things that's set to fail, that describes the acceptance of this item. So even acceptance tests should be written and set to fail prior to beginning a sprint. This way, no matter what you're building, whether it's tech, not technology or non-technical at all, you know you can set goals and ensure that you're not over-building or goal-plating what you're trying to build. Uh, so that you're meeting a consumer's needs. But I think this drives us to the big key. In my opinion, out of all 12 steps, number nine might be the most important, because number nine teaches us to focus on outcome and not output. Our goal shouldn't be to crank out as many worthless widgets as we can. Our goal should be to write something that makes sense to people, and to make sure that at the end of every single iteration, at the end of every sprint, that we have something that's potentially shippable and adds value to what we currently have. It doesn't necessarily mean that the feature is ready to be released, although if it is, that's great. What it means is that we have added value to what we currently have without introducing any new debt. So as long as we're not introducing debt and we're adding value to what we have, we're on the right track and we're going to build products and services that make our organization proud and it make the end consumer happy that they selected our product or service. Well, one more day to go. So I hope this was useful to you. You know, please tune in to AgileDad at AgileDad.com, Agile Dad Facebook group for all of you who have taken our classes. Join the alumni group. We've got lots of organizational ways and lots of free videos, webinars, you know, lots of opportunity for you to learn. And we encourage you to dig in and uh, feast on all this information. And if you have ideas for an upcoming podcast you know, episode, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Reach out to us at learnmoreatagiledad.com. We'd love to hear your ideas, and we'd love to put it all together for you. So on behalf of the team at Agile Dad, we want to thank you for joining us today, and we encourage you to stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Until next time, take care.